What's up, guys? My name is Jamie Messina, and this is episode two of the Stories That We Tell podcast. We have a very special guest today, Steve Messina, a.k.a. the Keto Grandfather, who also happens to be my father. This was an awesome episode for me to, you know, be able to interview my father and hear all the stories that he has to share. He's somebody that I've looked up to my entire life. I consider a mentor and a best friend, and he has a lot of wisdom to share around all areas of life. Um, So listen in for that. And uh, just a little forewarning, this is episode number two. We're still working out some kinks here. There is a certain point in the episode where it cuts off. um, And then, uh, you know, so, (laughs) and then we had to re-record so there's a piece that's missing. So don't think, uh, you know, you're, you're wondering what's going on. That's our bad. Uh, we're working as we go. But here we go. Episode two with the Keto Grandfather. Listen up, listen in, and let's do it. All right, guys, I have Mr. Steve Messina, the Keto Grandfather, who happens to also be my dad with me today, um, which is which is really cool. Uh, this is episode number two, and he wanted to know why he wasn't on episode number one. <laughs> um, but yeah, welcome. Oh, thanks. I appreciate being number two, <laughs> even though I should be number one, but that's all right. Number two will do for me. Yeah, so... Um, my dad and I have been talking about this podcasting. I told him in the last episode how I've been talking about starting a podcast for about eight years. And it took me getting in Facebook jail to make that actually happen because I didn't have anything else to do that day. <laughs> so uh, we made that happen. Um, but he's been a part of that. He is a big fan of listening to podcasts and uh, has recommended a few to me. And so, yeah, here we are. Now, I was describing to him what it is that the my idea for this, um, you know, overall show is the stories that we tell. And so we were, we were talking about this. I'm just going to pre-frame it for you guys. We were talking about this, kind of talking about what we're going to talk about. And, um, we, we, I'm gonna have him tell you a story, but he, all of a sudden he goes, wait a second and runs up into the attic, comes back down with this old looking briefcase. It is dusty. I wish you could see it. There's like an inch of dust layered on top of it. And he opens it up. And it's it's something that we um, have talked about before, and um, that I wanted to share with you guys. So, what'd you just go and pull out of the attic? Well, I pulled out uh, a briefcase that's actually pretty good shape today, even though I it, is. it looks good. I've got I got this thing back in 1972, and um, uh, I know we videoed something earlier, but I'm probably repeating myself. Oh, these people aren't here, and they. This is something different. They oh, this is something. So complete. you, okay. yeah, you can Good. tell them exactly. Anyway, what what I had done was um, uh, back in '72, I had started my business in 1970. It's a floor covering business, and floor covering business was was basically just installing carpeting for other people, and um, and it it got to a point where I had like seven seven installers working for me and I would go around different apartment buildings and do work that way. And, um, and we'd install, I'd, I'd pay my men by the hour and they, I would be paid by the square yard. And, um, I had to put down more square yards than hours <laughs> build. So I would, um, I would then, uh, 
one day this friend of mine, Tom Borelli, came to me and he said, I've got something I want to show you. And it was it was some of the early days of, of multi-layered marketing, as they called it, um, which is the same thing as Avon and all those things they had back then. Um, Avon lady? Yeah, you couldn't bring things. It was hard <laughs> to bring things to the market, just like it is today. It's hard to bring things to the market. But back then, he had this thing. He wanted to show it to me, and, and I said, okay, I'll listen to you. So he came to my house, and he set up this, this big um, uh, screen with all – numbers, facts, figures, and and then all of the things that I would do in order to make my myself more successful. And they were basically tapes. They were self-improvement tapes that I I would um, I would buy from him and then listen, as he explained it, would be every I would listen to the same tape at least twice a day for seven days. And then what he called space repetition would would be the thing that I would would kind of sink into my head each one of these tapes and I just keep listening and listening and listening. So it just so happens at the time I was working in a um, in some apartment buildings and that took me forty minutes to get to every day. So I I had one of those vans that had the motor right the engine cowling right there next to me and I put this tape player on it and. And I've listened to that on the way. And I also had guys that work for me. And even though they weren't interested in it, they were listening to it every day also. And um, some of them actually started businesses from just listening to it. But um, after after seven days, I'd listen to one. Then I'd go to the next tape and the next tape. And then I started. Um, he had also given me a few tapes, like one was Psycho-Cybernetics. And another one was Think and Go R- Grow Rich. And we would... Um, myself and the guys working for me would listen to the same tapes um, because it was really nothing else on the radio. You couldn't even, it, it was hard to keep channels. If you're driving 40 minutes, you'd, you'd lose the, the the feed to them. So listening to this tape was easier than anything. Um, and then he had told me, uh, I'm going to go back a little because the, the night he was trying to sell me these, uh, he said, to me that uh, the tapes were $700 and there was this 14 lessons, but seven tapes. No, remember two sides. to What them. year is this again? This is 1970, right around 1972. So $700 in 1972. What's the equivalent of that today? I don't know, but I know thousands, thousands that if you dollars. were buying a tape to listen to for, you know, with just music on it, it was probably 85 cents or something, you know, so yeah. <laughs> or a dollar. And um, to 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 buy seven of them and was a you know put it in this briefcase and and a little one of those little handheld tape recorders you had but you can listen to it also um, was probably you know maybe five dollars worth of equipment yet I was going to pay seven hundred dollars for them and I told him um, I felt bad for him he paid eleven thousand dollars <laughs> to have the rights to sell this. And he'd go around with people, you know, to, to try to sell them to people. And, it, and sometimes people think that things are just too much money. Um, but they don't look at what you're going to get out of it in the long term. Uh, just like maybe today, if you look at, at therapeutic ketones, they sound like too much money from someone. They, I could buy a soft drink for a dollar and you're selling these for $7 and, 
and you know, but you have to look at what you're getting out of it. So the value, the value, the that, value that, of it. that that suitcase had for you. Yeah. So I told him, I said, all right, I'm going to buy them from you. I felt bad for him. I really <laughs> did because he paid $11,000 and the 11,000 was just to sell these things, but he had to sell them for $700. So I'd get some of his money back from him. <laughs> and he also told me, and I didn't, I, I wasn't going to do it, but he told me, he says, if you, what's your biggest thing that you want to do? He asked me. And I said, I want to, I want to start my own store, my own floor covering store. And he said, and what's holding you back from that? And I said, because I don't know what's holding me back. He says, I know what it is. It's self-esteem. Every time you try to do something, people tell you not to do it. And then you kind of listen to them and then you don't do it. And I said, yeah, well, you're kind of right, you know, and growing up in a family that, um, didn't have a whole lot. There was eight kids in our family and my father was a firefighter. So wasn't a lot of money to be spent on anything. And now here I am at age 22 and I was making pretty good money doing just the installation. So of floors, of floors. And um, so I had the $700 to give him and, and I decided, well, I'll try it. And he said, I guarantee you, you will open a store within six months after you buy these, if you do exactly what I say and listen to them for seven, um, seven days straight each day. And I said, all right, let's do it. So I started listening to him and I can tell you right now, and I've said the story many times over the last 40 or 50 years <laughs> that, um, that doing, uh, after, oh no, yeah. After three months, of listening to these after three months, I actually opened the store. And after I opened it, I started thinking, wait a minute, this is what he told me I was going to do. And I <laughs> didn't really believe him. And now it's happened. And it was the people like uh, Napoleon Hill and, and, um, and the others and, and uh, Tony, Tony Robbins, Robbins and, and people like I still I, I started listening to these these lessons and then they led to other tapes each tape lead, leads to another and I can say over the last 50 years that's what's happened to me I just kept listening to more and more of these things and realized what space repetition was all about and and even even some of the books I've bought I've purchased on low carb eating and that kind of thing I just read them, but I also buy them on audio books and I listen to them while I'm in the car and find, find it just works for me. And, um, and that's really what education was all about. I, I promised myself when I was like 10 years old that I would never go to college. And, um, but when I was 14, I begged my uncle for a job. And this is the truth. I have a little story. I'll tell you that I begged him for a job and he said, you're 14 years old. You cannot work for me. He says, you need working papers. And he owned a company. He owned a floor covering business. And I said, look, there's 30 days left in the summer, working days left. You can pay me whatever you want. I just want to buy my own clothes for school. He said, I'll give you a dollar a day. I think he thought I was going to walk away from it. I said, you give me a dollar a day, but don't pay me until the last day so I'd have $30. He said, okay, it's a deal. Now, back then in the town I live in, in Watertown, Massachusetts, they were doing a lot of these little farms around town was selling off their land and putting up apartment buildings. And I worked in this one project with them that 
I had to carry boxes of tile six stories up, six and seven stories, and just supply the installers. So I'm working like I was building the pyramids or something. I'm <laughs> one of these guys just carrying these boxes of tile up to those to those guys. And they used to laugh at me because they saw I was working for a dollar a day. Um, I, I watch old movies. I'm trying to classic movies. I see some of these cowboys and they, they didn't even work for a dollar a day back in the 1800s, but I was, I did it in 1963. So, um, after that, he gave me my $30, not a penny more. And, um, I bought my own clothes. And then later on, instead of going on to college, I went right into staying on with this, um, in, in this type of business. I, I actually worked from for another five years and then started my own business. Wait, yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute, because there's yeah. something that inspired me about a story that you told me that I found inspiring was the tr- the first truck that you worked out of. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first truck, uh, well, my brother and I were both doing this. I had an older brother that his lifelong goal was being a police officer. <laughs> and um, so he was in the same business. So he worked for my uncle also. And, um, so the two of us decided we'd go in our own business and, and, and we did for the first year that was 50 years ago. Um, and we needed a van to start the business with in this, um, there was a meat company in Watertown that was selling a van that had flipped over a few times (laughs) and you can see it was all dented and crazy, but it worked didn't have any heat in it, but the, the van actually worked. It cost us $250 for the van. And and we used that for a couple of years. And that's what we first started with. And they were transporting meat with it. <laughs> yeah. But we cleaned it out I and kind of like brought it to the car wash. And, and after a while, the smell went away of dead meat. But, uh, <laughs> oh. you know, it just goes to show you. And in the winter, we'd freeze in the thing. In the summertime, you had to keep all the windows open because it was so hot. But... Uh, we only had it for a few years, but we we both started installing carpet for other uh, companies, other floor covering companies, and we did it on a subcontract basis where we'd work by the square yard, and the more we put down, the more money we made. So it was it worked out well. If you wanted to work extra time, you could. So you, you made pretty good money. I remember at the time I was making probably fifteen thousand dollars a year, which sounded sounds today like <laughs> like nothing, obviously, but Back then, it was a big deal. Yeah. And uh, so I uh, I did that. And that's when um, my brother, actually, in the very first year, he told me he was, uh, he says, guess what? I, I'm getting an interview to be a police officer. And I said, great. He goes, and it's going to be the town right next to us. And um, when he went for his interview, he comes back and says, you know, I'm, I'm getting the job, but it wasn't in that town. It's actually about 40 minutes away. And he thought he'd be able to do both jobs, but he just couldn't do it. So in the first year, it was just me. And, you know, and I just hired more people to work for me. But it wasn't until I, you know, I really wanted the store so I could go into have a a storefront and kind of let the business grow. So I'm not just doing the labor on it. I'm I'm actually selling and I'd hire the people to do the labor. And that's, that's how that all started. Yeah. And I'm going into my 50th year. Right 50, now. 50th year business. Started in 1970. So 2000, in 2020, I'll be. Here's the thing. We were talking about this earlier and I asked, do you think you would have, you know, 
started your own store if, if you didn't buy and take a chance on this guy with a briefcase full of these tapes? And what was your answer? My answer was no, I wouldn't have. Um, back, back then, I really did have kind of low self-esteem when it came to like starting a... Installing the carpet for someone else was easy. That was the easy thing. But to go outside my comfort zone, right. I would then have to deal with people, people um, in their homes. I'd have to go to their homes and sell them carpet. And and I was always afraid someone's going to ask me a question I wouldn't know mm-hmm. the answer to. And then what would I do? And I had l- worries like that, little yeah. stupid things today. But back then, they were big things to me. I, th- I was thinking it always kept me from from uh, taking the next step. Oh. It wasn't until I started listening to self-improvement tapes that I realized those were just figments of my imagination. Right. Well, and the thing is, like, that is what the majority, all humans have those thoughts. Um, I was listening to a Tony Robbins podcast the other day, and he said, if you if you say that you don't have those thoughts, you're, you're just lying. Like, everybody, it's human nature to have those thoughts. And the difference is the majority of people never do anything. They, they let those thoughts control them. But it sounds, you know, say universe or, or God or whatever brought those tapes into your life for a reason, which then trickled down into, you know, your kids' lives and everything else. But um, that's the thing is most people can be successful and can go after what they want, but they stop. They let those disbeliefs or stories that they're telling themselves, which are stories, it's not truth, hold them back from going after what they want in life. In, a, in about the third Probably about the fourth year in business, um, I actually had the opportunity to be a firefighter in Watertown, um, which is a very difficult job to come by, but I was able to do it and was on the fire department for about five years. My father was always telling me to take the safe route, be a firefighter, and and you'll you'll which is ironic. always have the safe uh, route. <laughs> and, and it's and it wasn't really a safe job. I mean, those guys put their lives on the line every day, and when they least expect it is when something happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I did that for, for, for while I was running my business. I was I was a firefighter, but it lasted about six years, seven years, and uh, the town became a city in 1980. And once that happened became a city the um we still had a town form of government and those people had to leave and new people had to get elected so they had to start laying people off so they laid off 30 firefighters 30 police officers 30 teachers so the whole town had um was felt at every department and um while i was laid off uh, for a couple years my business was taking off and it was really um uh, growing and they would call people back to work based on uh, how long, how much service you had previously. So I was about halfway through, you know, it was about a year and a half to two years and they asked me to come back. And I said, well, I just let the other guys come back for us. I'm too busy and um, I don't mind doing it that way. And in the back of my mind was, I just wasn't going to come back because I, even though people think, being a firefighter and having your own business is an easy thing. It's not. You've got to put in your 40 hours a week being a firefighter and you're working day and night and you also have to do the work for your business. And I found that 
I was never home. I, 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 on the nights I worked and sometimes the weekend nights and holidays and things like, and my kids were growing up around me. I didn't really have an opportunity to uh, be with them because I had two things going for me. I knew if I tried to close down the floor covering business, it would just follow me. People are always asking me to do this, you know, uh, sell them carpet. And, but if I left the fire department, it would end because they, they wouldn't be able to take me back. So um, once I was gone from the fire department, I could do that. Uh, I could let my business grow. And, and I did the biggest, the biggest issue was leaving my friends that were there and, and, but they're still be, they were still my friends. You know, I thought at first, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to see these guys anymore. Well, of course I would. They're still friends of mine. Small town. I just wouldn't be working with them. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I have more respect for, police officers and firefighters and, and people that work in civil service than, than anyone, because especially when you're, when you're working in these jobs that, you know, maybe 80% of the time you're sort of waiting for something to happen. It's like an insurance policy. Once you, once it happens, you're glad you have people like that. And once you, uh, a fire happens in your house, you're, you're glad you have an insurance policy, but, uh, but you're also very happy that those firefighters are there to, to, come in and, and take care of the fire or even when it when it came to um, working on an ambulance which I did for like four years a rescue truck in Watertown and, and then worked uh, with a lot of good friends of mine and uh, but we still had to respond to fires also so it, it just made time go by a little quicker for me on the department and also was something I was very interested in and and uh, so those are things I had to leave and well, then just kept working on my business. No, a lot of people thought you were crazy for giving up the job at the fire department. Is that right? Yeah, they did, but they didn't understand where I was coming from. I, I was, if, if, if you can imagine, I'm trying to hold something in a bottle and that's the business is growing and I can't hold it back any longer. And I'm, and I'm working, I, I can't work one more hour a week. And, you know, the fire department they, did ask me if I'd work overtime and I'd refuse it only because I couldn't. I didn't have time to do the overtime. <laughs> and so I realized I just had to give up one or the other. And when they laid me off, it was easy well, to I mean, give up the fire department. The thing is, with the fire department, you had, what, pension, all of these things set in stone for you. Yeah. And starting a business is something that's risky. It's something that you don't know that it's going to pan out. You don't know what it's going to do for you. And so people try to talk you out of that. And they try to, it, I'll tell you, that's why I, you go back to that question you asked me. Um, did these audio tapes help me? Of course they did. They made up my mind. I, I left the fire department. I had, I had three things happen within a few months. Um, one thing was my, uh, I had a brother that died. At age 30, he was 18 months younger than me. Um, I had um, the, this is in 1981, um, and I got laid off from the fire department. And on that same day, the guy that owned the building I was leasing uh, for my business uh, told me he wanted, he needed the, the store back and I had to leave and I had to go find another place. So, all three things happened at the same time. And all it did was make me feel like, you know, there's something here. There's some reason why this is happening. And, and one thing about my uncle, I remember he used to, used to take money and just invest it in real estate. And, and so 
I decided I was going <laughs> all these things are happening and, and I'm having lunch with my wife and she's saying, you know, you don't have a job anymore. You don't have, you're not on the fire department. You don't have a store. And you know, what are we going to do? And I said, we, we still do. I still have a business that I can run. I can always install carpet and that, but I think we, it's time to just take the next step. And so what I did is, is I went out and I bought a building at, at a time when, you know, I was being laid off and I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't have a store. So it kind of forced me into these things, but I think everything happens for a reason. I honestly believe that. And this is, this is one of them. So I, uh, Wait a second. Let's go back to that for a minute. I find that interesting because at a time when most people would be freaking out, you know, uh, what this is happening, why me, poor me, like your, your brother, who was also your best friend, died. Um, you get laid off from your secure job. And then your other job, which is about to this booming, you get kicked out of the place where you're at and where most people might, you know, hang their head and just go do something. Instead, you had... Um, the guts to go and say, all right, well, I'm just going to buy a building to run my store out of. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's today I look back and I say, hi, how did I do that? But I I'm telling you, if I didn't have, if I didn't educate myself with self-improvement tapes at the time it was, I wouldn't have done it. I, I did it because I kind of changed my way of thinking. Instead of, instead of thinking that I had to be someone that was dependent on others to make a living, I just decided I would do it myself. I would just go out there and do it and put everything on the line. You know, um, uh, you, know you, you look back, back in history and some of the biggest battles in World War II were fought when people knew they had nowhere to go but forward. And you think about things like that. You think about the guys that fought in those wars and even I was reading um, a story about Andrew Jackson and how he actually blocked off uh, an area so his troops couldn't couldn't go backwards they had to stay there and fight and that's what they did and um, because there was no way of retreating and he got them to see that this that and, and I was kind of in the same situation I had nowhere to go but forward and and um and I felt confident that I could do it. And there was ups and downs all the time. You know, you always had those ups and downs, but it always seemed to be um, going up, even though you had an up and a down, up and down, but it trended up. And that's what uh, I find myself today in a position where I can pretty much do what I, I like to do and put myself in a financial situation where that's possible also. But I did it through, uh, which I can pinpoint the, the time is through my friend Tom. At one time, Tom, just as a side note, um, when I opened my store, Tom couldn't sell them anymore. He couldn't find, he, he couldn't make a living going door to door selling those those tapes to people. And he actually came to work for me. He was a salesman <laughs> That's crazy. in my store. How he, ironic is that? Yeah. This guy has a briefcase full of something that could change people's lives and people are turning him away because they think it's a joke. They, and this happens so often. You have something you can change somebody's life and they're turning it away. They, and you are a prime example. You did it. First of all, I think that says something about you, maybe that you were born with, because from all the stories that you share, and also, you know, I'm your daughter and I feel like it's in me too, is like, you know, I don't think most people are born in this way where they can think outside of the box or take these risks, where as 
sometimes I wish I didn't want to take them all the time, but I can't help it. It's just the way I am. Well, it's the way you grow up. I mean, my father worked three jobs. I mean, he was he was a firefighter, but he was also a cab driver, and he and he I don't even know what the other job was, but he 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 did whatever he could to make enough money so his you know his family had what they needed. And back then, it was basically you know your basics, but also, you didn't feel like you didn't have anything it, because, you know, my mother would always, like my father worked so much, he wasn't around, but my mother would always make sure we did things with the family and would always go on vacations and we all, we always did things. But they were, you know, just things that everyone seemed to do in the neighborhood because we're all in the same boat. You know, we lived in, uh, this is right after World War II and we were all, um, uh, you know, the the generation that came along, what, what do we call it? <laughs> anyway, we, uh, our school, the baby boomers. Yeah. Baby boomers. Yeah. We, our school was, um, uh, always overcrowded. There was so many kids. They, they, um, there'd be like 45 kids in a classroom that was really made for like 25. And they actually had classes up on the, on the stage in the gymnasium or, you know, auditorium. They'd have classes there and, it's you know people see it today i'm sure in some of these cities and towns that that don't put the money into new buildings but um the overcrowding the school is probably the worst thing you can do because a lot of people just fall through the cracks and i remember one teacher one teacher when i was in um because i just made it through every one of my classes i did my friends and i would just you know kind of go along and probably just manage to graduate for the next year and i I remember this one teacher knew that I worked for my uncle as as a teenager from the time I was 14 till the time I got out of high school. And and he said, come up to me one day and he just said, you know, that's a good trade. You can make some good money doing that. And he was looking at my marks and said, you know, you don't have to go to college. Everyone thinks that college is the big deal. You know, when you learn in the four years in college has probably nothing to do. This is probably with 75% of students out there will probably have nothing to do with what you're going on to in your life. Um, and, you know, his, his advice to me is advice I give to kids today. If, if you really feel um, like making something of yourself, uh, it's not just college. You can go on to a trade. The trades right now are hungry for people. They really, I said, I heard them. I, I heard a number a few weeks ago from uh, a union guy that I know that, see if I say it correctly, but it's like uh, 60% or 65% of the people in unions today, like in your trade unions, are over the age of 60, something like that. They're ready to retire. And that's like a measure that. Uh, back then there was a lot of distributors around, so you can buy a carpet pretty easily. You didn't have to get it right from the mill like we have to do today. So we, within a few days, the whole job was done. And that was like 1982 and was still with that school today, installing carpet. And that, that job led to some of the purchasing people going to places like Emerson College which we do a lot of their work now, almost all their flooring, um, uh, led to people going to Harvard. We're doing their work. We're doing work at MIT now. 
we, we do a lot of contracting work with the local colleges because we, it's not outside our comfort zone anymore. <laughs> this is within my comfort zone is going into these colleges and being able to promise them that a job will be done on a certain day and getting it done. Because if they don't, it's not about saving a few dollars. It's about getting the work done before a class starts or before maybe even a summer class is going to start or, or in, in Boston, Northeastern, there's uh, a lot of the inner city kids come there um, and they have to be in certain buildings and you have to get the work done within a certain time frame because these kids are coming in and then when they leave, you have to do. So it's all about uh, knowing what, what you have to do in order to make that, that job successful for that school. And the more you can make it successful, the more you can take it off of that person's day to day thing that he has to do. Let me worry about the floors. Go worry about all the other trades you have to get in there, the carpenters and contractors and everyone. And um, it's paid off over the years. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So we've been talking for 40, 32 minutes almost. Um, well, let's wrap it up a little. So I, I haven't, I, I was thinking of what I could ask my last, like, I want there to be a last question that I ask everybody that I interview and it just came into my head now. So <laughs> we're going to do that. So if you could tell your 14 year old self one thing as this 70 year old successful businessman, like all around the board, like you've done a lot of different things. Like when I tell people, oh, yeah, my, my dad did that. Oh yeah. They're like, wow, your dad's done a lot of different things. You've been on the school committee in town. You've been, um, you know, you've had your own business. You've, uh, there's just a lot, firefighter. There's just a lot of things in there in the stories that you have, which by the way, that ghost story um, of that house you used to own, I want to tell that one day. Um, I had to deliver food there the other day. Hey, you deliver food, I delivered a baby. <laughs> yeah, my Myself and Bob McCarthy. And He's Bear. delivered a baby um, in the blizzard of 78, which, by the way, that baby is now uh, a client of mine. <laughs> it's just so ironic. Goes around, comes around. Right? It's just funny. Um, so what would you tell your 14-year-old self? I tell myself to listen to my six-year-old self. <laughs> and that is anything that you dream about when you're a kid, just follow it. And if you want to do it, do it. Um, but do it in a way that you're not always putting impediments in your mind that says, says that you can't do it. You just go ahead and do it. And I don't care who you are. Um, you just set goals in your mind and they'll, they'll come true no matter what they are, it, whether it be like, um, starting a floor covering business or starting a business would prove it. Uh, <laughs> you could do the same thing. You could make, you can make those dreams come true. And then if you want to do something else, you can also, one thing will lead to another you'll find through life. If you just sit back and do nothing and feel sorry for yourself, um, you, you, you probably won't get anywhere. Um, but if you move ahead, um, and just have faith in yourself and, and anything you can pick up that's self-improvement, uh, I can tell you they work. They they erase the negatives in your mind and give you the positives. Who's the guy we heard in? Uh, Joseph McClendon III. Yeah, that guy was good. He I is mean, good. I really enjoyed listening He's to awesome. him. Uh, and just about anyone who spoke in those, in those um, 
clinics they had. Uh, the one down in Orlando, the one in, in and we got Joseph McClendon the third yeah. and um, uh, what's his name? Can't hurt me. I know you mean um, Navy Seal. Oh, yeah. oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Joe, wasn't it Joseph? No, it's, I can't uh, remember his name either. But now I got to remember. <laughs> but those people, those people that. They've lived through David Goggins. Yeah, there we go. Goggins. Yeah, that's it. These people know what they're talking about, and they they can help people, and they can help you out there. Someone out there listening to us right now, uh, if you feel like you're going nowhere, if you feel like you're lost and you don't know what where to turn next, just believe in yourself. Listen to those audio books, and also uh, just have faith. Just have faith in yourself, and you'll see things will change. And stay in the moment. That's probably the thing I've learned over the years, is staying in the present moment. You hear, um, you'll hear a lot of athletes say it, um, and people in business, and just successful people, or just people who doing things that they just uh, they, they they set a goal and they want to see it come through, but. The way it comes true is by staying in the present moment, not your mind. And, and that's keeping your mind in the present moment is what I'm saying, because your mind is always thinking ahead of what could be or in the past what already happened. That's not what's real. The only thing that's real is this very moment. Me talking to you right now, that's that's what's real. Five minutes from now is not real yet. It will only come real once it happens. And that's a different time altogether. So there are plenty of uh, audio books that'll teach you how to do that also. It's a very difficult thing to do. You're always thinking ahead, but if you can stay just in this moment, um, you'll see things will change in the direction that you want it to change into. That's my advice to anybody. So if somebody walks up to you with a briefcase full of tapes, take the chance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Take take a chance. And um, yeah, so some of those books, guys, that you can listen to to help be present, which it's a practice. It's a practice. You have to practice and practice. But The Power of Now um, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle are good are good places to start, right? Oh, yeah. Eckhart Tolle's books. I bought those books. I read them. And at the same time, I bought audio books on the same, the same books, only on audio, so I could hear them in my car. And I can tell you the moment, the moment that I was on a plane. We were down at Jody's wedding. Down in, in New Orleans. I mean, uh, where, where? Nashville. Nashville. And on the way coming home, my daughter, Lauren, who was sitting about 10 rows up in front of me, held up this book and said, do you want to read this on the way home? And it was called The New Earth. And it was uh, Eckhart Tolle's book. And I had nothing else to do on the plane. So I said, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, she said, Oprah recommends it. Which, <laughs> well, know, if Oprah recommends it. <laughs> Back then, if Oprah recommended it, you had to do it. Right? Still, uh, still. Yeah. Still. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, all right, if she recommends it, I'll, I'll read it. I started reading that book. And by the time I get, we landed, um, I was through um, probably, you know, almost half the book. <laughs> I just read it. I couldn't put it down. I kept thinking about this guy and then bought it on audiobooks, And so my space repetition part would kick in and 
listen to it over and over and over again. And after a while, you start doing those things and you start seeing things happen that you want to happen, that you'd like to happen. But they, I don't believe they would have if I didn't actually take those books, just like um, read those books, just like I, if I didn't get the original tapes from that friend of mine, Tommy. Um, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that picked out. It he probably did. Linda just sneezed way out about <laughs> five rooms away from us right now. <laughs> we, we, we're blessed with loud sneezing in the family. <laughs> so. um, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end is it gives people a place to start. Um, there you have it. Keto Grandfather on episode two of the stories that we tell. I think we should bring you back and talk more about the spiritual uh, readings and stuff that you've learned over the years. Yeah. I Glad to come back. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> he lives here, so I might come back here and <laughs> ask him. All right, that's it, guys. Um, we'll be back again soon. That was episode number two of the Stories That We Tell podcast with the Keto Grandfather. And... I just, I absolutely love that, that whole process of interviewing my dad. You know, I found there were certain points when I was interviewing him that I wanted to maybe go in a different direction or wanted him to hurry up. And I, and I found myself pulling myself back in and, and saying, you know, be present and hear what he has to say. And it, it ended up being something that I will probably uh, remember and value for my entire life. So thank you, dad. That was awesome. You have so much wisdom to share with everybody and we will have you back again here soon.